Hey, Politicology, it's Ron. And here with me is Lucy Caldwell to help answer some of your burning questions. I have so many burning questions, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's do this thing. The first question was sent to us by Michael F. He asks, why is there so little focus on Fox News and the illegal purporting of a public fraud? It is so obvious what the main problem is. Fraud, misrepresentation, inciting violence, etc. There must be a mechanism to shut down things that are against public policy. So what? They will be upset. I just don't get it. Democrats are bringing a ping pong paddle to a knife fight. Are you in agreement? Lucy, do you agree with Michael that when it comes to overcoming the stream of nonsense from Fox News, Democrats are bringing a ping pong paddle to a knife fight? Well, what are Democrats supposed to do here? So I actually heard this issue brought up in an interview of Jake Tapper a few months ago. Oh, okay. It was a Jake Tapper interview with um, like the smart list guys. And and I, one of them said, um, basically, why don't we just have some kind of mechanism, like a government mechanism to shut down stuff like this because it's so bad. And Jake Tapper rightly was like, well, that's very dangerous because who's the decider? How do we shut down Fox News? So I guess you could say, and I encourage people to do this if they feel strongly about it, go sort of like tell Comcast, tell Xfinity, tell Cox Cable, tell Spectrum that you're going to stop being customers of cable packages by them if they don't drop Fox News, right? Or go... Tell companies that you like that you don't want to see them advertise on Fox News, but that's if you watch Fox News, it's like five people who sell gold yeah, and like yeah. adult diapers. But there isn't really a practical way to shut Fox News down. And that's a good thing because yeah. we don't want to have, I personally yeah. don't want to see a government arbiter of what should or should not be said in yeah. sort of the the public forum. And you also, when we think about this, Think about even if we could conceive of a notion like a panel, and even that yeah, word kind yeah, of scares me. That is scary too. Yeah. Even if we could conceive of a notion to kind of curb the malfeasance of someone like Fox, that's all incumbent on the enforcer, yeah. and who the enforcer is is dependent on who's in power. Mm-hmm. So if it were Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, do we want to see the New York Times shut down? Yeah. We want to see MSNBC shut down, mm-hmm. CNN. So it's very, it's very tricky, don't you think? It's, I totally agree. Well, look, this is the First Amendment is pretty unequivocal, um, and there's no magic wand that we can wave over Fox News to make them tell the truth. As a matter of fact, truth has always been a a, a thing that we strive for, and it takes a lot of effort uh, and care to to find it, to uncover it, and this is why journalism exists now. Yeah, you can't call what happens on Fox News journalism most of the time, but um, but but to say that any one person or panel of people is going to is going to you know decide what that is is very short sighted and and a, and a dangerous place to go. So um, yeah, I I, I think uh, it is it is really awful um, what they're doing. Um, there, we should keep the focus on the harm that's done by the content that they allow uh, in their programming. For example, I think we just heard about their new vaccination policy in studio that they're rolling out where they're requiring their employees to submit their vaccine status and they're requiring masks in control rooms. And yet 
none of the shows, uh, none, none of the, the, the network's most, um, you know, prolific purveyors of anti-vax information and propaganda have acknowledged the fact that they themselves are vaccinated as a part of this policy or just because they believe the science that they, that they, that they, um, attempt to falsify on their shows. So I think scrutiny, yes. Um, uh, leverage, yes. Calling your cable action on the part of the individual and the customers. Yes. All of that, all of that and all the time. But, but we cannot delude ourselves into thinking that abandoning, you know, one of the bedrock principles of American free society, freedom of speech, freedom of press is, should be anywhere close to consideration. Now, all that said, um, there, you know, I mentioned recently on a, on a roundup, um, that the, that I'm watching closely as the New York times, uh, versus Sullivan decision may be, um, revisited by the Supreme court. Uh, Neil Gorsuch indicated, um, interest in that. And that, that decision has to do with the responsibility of, of, of publishers to, um, Basically, can they be held accountable and how they're held accountable when they um, report false information about public figures? And um, I suspect that if they go that direction, um, the opinions, dissenting and majority in that case um, will will be very telling. And I think we'll have to get at the um, the new media environment that we find ourselves in that allows Fox News to, um, to be so successful financially. So um, – obviously no silver bullet, no magic wand, watch no. the space, take individual action in every way that you can. Um, but, uh, I'm not ready to give up the first amendment. Here, here. <laughs> okay. Our second question comes from Bob G in New Jersey. He writes, what happens if democracy fails? Has it been thought of run the tape forward? And what if Trumpism wins? If the U.S. becomes an authoritarian country, what are the consequences? I don't want this to happen, he writes, but I was thinking, what if it did happen? Do we become a global pariah? Does the U.S. and China become, uh, the, the U.S., Russia, and China become the big three authoritarian nations? Would allies pull out of our economy or do they embrace China or form a coalition of the last remaining free nations? Does it happen slow enough that globally it just gets accepted and they become used to it? I imagine there would be consequences and we would suffer economically eventually and be far more isolated in the world, even vulnerable to more attacks of any kind from Russia and China. Um, Lucy, in two segments we've done recently for Politicology uh, Plus, we talked about Tucker Carlson and his recent trip to Hungary um, and the American rights infatuation with autocrats. In Bob's scenario, um, they win. <laughs> and, and we don't often take, um, you know, this reminds me, I actually appreciate his question because there's this, um, there's this tradition in, I think, stoicism and also in, um, uh, Freemasonry and also in other sort of obscure pseudo religious or intellectual traditions where you, where you, where you meditate on death, it's called death meditation. And really the purpose of, of this practice is to put you more in touch with the present moment and the life that you get to live in the here and now. And so I actually like questions like Bob's because they really make you think about the, you know, what are we doing here and now to protect against this eventuality? And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Corruption run amok. 
questionable election results, nationalist policies enforced by political thugs and law enforcement. It can't be that this is all what's at stake in the next election or two in America. I don't know. How do you think about his question? Well, I'm glad Bob is thinking about it because one of my biggest fears coming out of 2020 is that everyone kind of thinks like Joe Biden is president. So it's fine. Um, When in fact, there's even scarier stuff coming down the line. I've I've been thinking a lot about how generally I think like the Republican Party writ large is in a massively terrible place and that none of the behavior of any of them is really acceptable. But when we look ahead to 2022 or 2024, you have, for instance, and we're not talking about this enough, a whole bunch of Republican governors who are, you know, up for re-election or being termed out. It's it's people like Doug Ducey in Arizona, right? You think about Republican governors like Mike DeWine in Ohio. Um, you know, there are a few in other places across the country, like even someone like Asa Hutchinson, like could these governor of Arkansas, like could they be elected today? I'm not sure. So it's easy to be like, well, we got Trump out. But now in Republican primaries, you have a whole bunch of current office holders who are getting termed out or retiring who could not get through a primary today. And, you know, like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are just like the tip of the iceberg of what we could see. And so I think a lot about politics at the local level. Um, There's a in Arizona, there's this woman named Carrie Lake who was a she was this TV journalist for years. She's an idiot. But she has started going after journalists. And, oh, and wow. at, like going after journalists, there's a prominent NBC News reporter there named Bram Resnick. And this last week, Carrie Lake, he asked her a question. She was stumping. And she said, um, I don't, I am not going to talk to you because I've noticed that you don't do the Pledge of Allegiance. And she and oh, Paul Gosar wow. are like perpetuating this, it turned into this massive thing, like perpetuating this hatred of this journalist and saying things like he, you know, is a Nazi sympathizer. He is, and he doesn't say our pledge. He is in fact a um, Canadian born U.S. citizen who is Jewish, right? Oh my God. And I bring that up because I think it's, it's a reflective of just the kind of commitment of Republican politicians to just go all in on the ugliest stuff. Mike Madrid told me a couple of weeks ago about something going on in California, which is that there are these militiamen running in like Shasta County as part of a recall against, against school board members, right? Um, School board members, and Mike could give us better details, but school board members who are like Trump supporting Republicans, but they are not committed enough in the minds of these militiamen. And these militiamen could be successful. So Bob is really right to ask the question because I think it's yeah. really easy to kind of rest on our laurels. Yeah. I think I generally give pretty positive um, predictions. What scares me about this, this notion mm-hmm. is that I, I love Europe. Don't get me wrong. Love it. <laughs> love Europe. Never been to Australia. Sure, I'd like it too. <laughs> but I don't know that if America descended into authoritarianism, I don't know that there would be enough might from our allies to overcome that. And so, you know, we could enter a really, really dark global phase. And and that's what frightens me. And so I think the only thing we can do is just keep up the drumbeat and look at all these avenues, small races, local elections. It's at, it's at every level. And 
the people who are kind of the the current version of this just insane disaster dumpster fire that is the Republican Party, they are not letting up. They yeah. are on top of this stuff and and they're fighting really hard. And so I think it's I I don't have a very positive perception of 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 what might yeah. happen if that happened, but except to underscore that it's a good question to be asking, it's an, as you said. It's an excellent question to be asking. And, and a, a couple of additional notes, as you're right, as Mike has said so articulately uh, in the past, um, and I, I think this is really true, democracies now need each other more than ever. And as a matter of fact, American democracy needs democracy in other places just as much as they need us. And 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 I think that's right. If we falter here, then that's a major blow to the idea and the ideals of free societies everywhere. And um, you know, Bob, if you're if you're not familiar already, you should uh, pick up Anne Applebaum's book called Twilight of Democracy. Um, because the answer to your question is, has it been thought of? Yes, it has been thought of. Many people, many smart people are thinking about it all the time. And Anne is uh, the person who comes to the top of my mind when I think about this. Um, she's also been on the podcast, so we can uh, link to that episode, that interview. Um, uh, but I think, Lucy, your, your, your recommendation uh, for paying attention, close attention to hyperlocal politics, is exactly right because that's where uh, you know I I like to refer to it as our civic immune system, right? That's where it really needs to focus first. And talking about these things in the open, yeah. and actually not being afraid to put out concepts like what yeah. Bob put out in that question, yeah. and something we've also talked about before. On uh, I think we talked about this on a roundup in January around the time that every all oh, the events yeah, yeah. of January six were unfolding. It was a roundup with Mike and Susan and me, mm. and we got into a discussion of Germany's approach to this stuff That's and right. how Germany, Mike kind of made the argument that in Germany, they were so wounded from the legacy of Holocaust, Nazism, that that they like put everything out there. They really call it out. And, you know, you can have a debate whether that's effective, but we're so afraid of doing yeah. that here. And yeah. and. And I I find that when I travel to kind of Trumpy places, um, that there's this idea of like it's like the come and get it stuff in Texas and all yeah. this weird freedom cosplay yeah. that is bogus. Um, and we have this idea that we need to sort of like respect people's way of life or whatever. Like, what about asking those people to yeah. respect <laughs> election results yeah. and American yeah. democracy? And so. I'm actually really in favor of putting this stuff out there more and not pussyfooting around yeah, this. Totally. And I think it's right that um, you follow, you hold their feet to the fire when you hear things like that and follow them through to the logical conclusions. Absolutely. See where that goes. Just follow. It's, it's, it's relatively easy. Oh, okay. So we don't believe in elections anymore. They're stolen all the time. Okay. How do you propose that we choose new leaders in this country or do we not? want to choose new leaders in this country. I mean, you, you have to follow it all the way through. That's a great point. Okay. Question number three, last for the day. Liz S. asks after, I think we referenced the crypto caucus last week, um, caucuses in Congress. I thought there was the Republican and Democratic parties in Congress hard stop. 
How do different, for example, far-left people make a quote-unquote progressive caucus versus a moderate caucus? Same with the right. Are these concrete? Does it matter? Why should we care or does it make a difference? Why are there caucuses in Congress? How do they form and what does it impact? This is a really good question um, that I think a lot of our listeners might want answered. Lucy, why don't you take this one and help us out? Sure. Well, if you remember Schoolhouse Rock Mm -hmm. of how a bill becomes a law, you remember that there are many more things than just like a floor vote, right? There's going through committee, there, you know, are initial votes, there's getting the bill introduced, it's getting it assigned to a committee, it's getting it heard. And so a lot more goes into whether a bill becomes a law or gets passed by a chamber than just, you know, an up or down Is it a good idea? Right. (laughs) If only lawmaking were that easy. But that means that there are a lot of chances for various constituencies to impact how a bill is shaped, right? So whether it's a couple of committee members who could hold up a bill, um, whether it's, you know, uh, sort of threatening to vote as a block. Um, And so there are a lot of ways that, say, the AOCs of the world can make life pretty miserable for, say, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. And that's good. That's a good thing, sort of on the whole, because we we want for members of Congress, say, and this happens at the state legislative level too, to be able to go and really represent yeah. the interests that they believe are right for their district, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Now, it does result in really strange bedfellows. And a, a recent one that is kind of topical is coverage of how actually some members of um, the Democratic Party in Congress voted against a bill that had provisions to sort of help expedite getting um, getting uh, sort of would-be sort of like um, Afghani refugees out mm. of Afghanistan mm-hmm. or, um, you know, other uh, provisions in a bill to do with sort of making a um, sort of uh, appropriation to Capitol Police. And so it doesn't always, it, it, it makes things really messy, yeah. right? But it is an opportunity for small groups of members, whether it's regional because they all have, you know, um, a, an interest in, you know, like uh, Western Congress people who uh, people have an who environmental issue. Farm country. Far, ag, yeah. right? It, 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 the, the, the caucuses that form usually mirror interest groups. Mm-hmm. And, and interest groups is kind of a dirty word, but it should not be because right. an interest group fundamentally just means sort of representing the interests of some sector of of our economy or some sector of our community. So, you know, Congress people show up every day and and exercise that leverage that they have by forming caucuses to push forward issues that they care about, whether it's something like police reform or, as you say, agriculture or, um, you know, a a women's rights issue. And, and, And I use the example of members of the squad, but you also see more kind of like traditional Democrats like Jackie Spire, you know, folks like that doing it too on, on various issues. And and you can really see that it is really part of how groups representing unique communities of Americans push forward yeah. issues that are important to them. I don't yeah, no, know I, if that I, makes no, sense. It, to, it does make sense. And I, and I actually, you know, now that we're actually talking about caucuses, because, you know, in, in, in our, in our episodes, we take this stuff for granted because we've worked in it for a long totally. time. But if you think about the way Congress and the decisions that it makes, um, are represented on, you know, most media outlets. You see red and blue and you see counts next to red and blue. And for the most part, that's the way the American people understand 
politics and what's happening in politics, right? And if only it were red and blue, then that would mean that everybody in those red and blue camps believe everything uh, that, that is completely intellectually monolithic. And that is just not true because that's not what America is, right? So I actually think the fact that we have caucuses is really encouraging because it shows that regardless of the party that helped get you elected, you you still are answering to a community of people, a constituency um, that maybe other members in your party do not have to answer to, right? They have completely different interests in Wyoming versus New York. They have completely different interests um, and and that's a good thing. That is how pluralism works, right? That is that is why, as fucked up as it is, Congress uh, is a collaborative project. And caucuses are what remind us of that, even if they are holding up a passage of a bill that the majority wants, you know, eventually they don't get their way, right? But but at least they're able to express that interest and um, and maybe get more of what they, what they want for their community that they're there to represent. So, um, I think that's I think it's actually positive now that we're you know talking about yeah. caucuses it's it's great and there is now a crypto caucus which I think love you know love or hate cryptocurrencies bitcoin whether you're a maximalist or you think the whole thing should go to hell uh I, I think it is it is a positive development that there are a group of lawmakers in our nation's capital who actually are are getting their hands dirty and experimenting with this new emerging technology. And if, you know, like it, it's better for me that they know what they're talking about by ha- having some direct experience with this technology than, than knowing nothing about it and making laws about it. So, I mean, that, that's how I feel about it. So, um, in the grand scheme of congressional yeah. dysfunction, caucuses are <laughs> caucuses not at the are actually caucuses are actually good. Things. They're actually yeah. on the list of in yeah. the in the good column. <laughs> um, that was a great question, Liz. And there are some other caucuses we can mention, like Bourbon Caucus, Childhood Cancer Caucus, Cannabis Caucus, the Congressional Black Caucus, which is very noteworthy. Yeah. So um, caucuses are a good thing. Yeah, we're pro caucus. Thank you, Michael, Bob, Liz, for sending in your questions. As always, you can send us your questions, comments, thoughts, ideas, whatever's on your mind at podcast at politicology.com. Lucy, thank you. Thank you, Ron. Bye, Politicology. Bye.